the title of the message today, It's Good to Get a Harvest. And this is a painting. It's in our prayer room, our pre-service prayer or post-service prayer. If you need ministry for something, if God's touching your heart during a message and you really want to do business with the Lord and you want someone to pray for you, but you don't want to be on a camera, we have this wonderful room next door where you, where you can go with some trusted people and get prayed for. You can reach Agatha. She's going to raise her hand there. Anybody with one of these cool cards, the lanyards with the purple card is somebody that's really spending their morning ready to minister to people in prayer. And you can get um, prayer there. But one of the things she requested from someone in our church who does paintings like this is a painting for this area, that, that space. And you may have seen it up here a few weeks ago. Anyhow, when we were seeking the Lord about direction, one of the verses he highlighted for us is from John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And it's verse 24 where it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And this painting, which is in our building and I'm putting up here, um, was painted before this. But it's just it seems like God put his bold, underlined exclamation mark on this kind of thinking. And if you see the picture here, at the bottom there is a grain of wheat that has dropped its seed on the ground, which then goes into the ground and then sprouts out with a head producing lots. And as that multiplies, there's a great revival happening throughout the earth. I think that's kind of the message, one of many in this picture. So we're going to look at this passage today. But partly what kind of underlined to do this message this morning, I always hold my messages loosely with the Lord. I don't know what I'm speaking until it's about 10.30 each Sunday morning. Just want to be obedient and faithful and ready for curveballs. Uh, one of the things that highlighted that this would be a good message for this morning was the fact that a few days ago we had St. Patrick's Day, true, and then on Tuesday is World Down Syndrome Awareness Day, and these are both kind of days for me that speak to uh, self-sacrifice and loss for the sake of gain. So if you know anything about the story of Patrick, and he lived a long time ago, so of course all the historicity, there's going to be people arguing about it, but one of the things that made him famous was that in order to get to Ireland to do his ministry, he actually sold himself into slavery to get on the ship. Because he wanted to go to Ireland. God had put those people on his heart. I think he was from there but had moved away. I could be wrong. But in order to get where God called him to go to do his ministry, he, to get on the boat to go to Ireland, he actually had to sell himself into slavery on the boat. And so he, he's just this person who kind of did as much letting his seed die in order to have a harvest as you can, as you can kind of do and survive it. And I don't think he envisioned just shamrock shakes and dying rivers green as part of his legacy. But when you find out about it, you kind of want to say, dang, bro, that's commitment. And then World Down Syndrome Day is, impacts my family in a specific way and that's what I want to talk about today, just some of our experiences. But let's go to the scripture first. And I have a different translation than the one I read in my Bible here, so if it sounds a little bit different, that's, that's totally cool. But let's read this together, 
or at least I'll read it and you can follow along. These are the very words of God. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who love their life will lose it, while those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Father God, I just pray you bless us today, and Holy Spirit, I welcome you. You are here, you've been here, but I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to touch our hearts and minds with your will and your word and your ways and wake us up and make us alive in Jesus. Father, anybody who's got a roadblock for your love and your will in their life today, we submit it to the power of the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus. I pray for great freedom. Would you help me too? Amen. So I'm going to talk about Jesus a little bit, and then I'll talk about our interactions with Down syndrome. So if you know the story, Jesus, as John tells it, John doesn't just start with Jesus being born. He goes all the way into heaven, and he introduces us to this being called the Logos, or the Word. And he introduces, with kind of a a reminder of the book of Genesis, he introduces us as this Logos who was with God and is God. And this eternal being who is both with God and is God, which is one of the most mysterious and brain-breaking sentences ever written, at a point in time becomes flesh, comes down into the earth, is born of the Virgin Mary, and becomes a human being, and then lives this, this, this... interesting life. But everybody thinks he's just a person. But he's actually the creator of the universe and the mind of God himself. And so much just like God that he is also God himself. And we call this doctrine the Trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each themselves everything it means to be God, and together are the one true God. And I'm probably already described it in a way that somebody would think is a heresy, but I'm trying here. But we need to just, what we do is we say, Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and they are one. They are the one true God together. And that's the reality. Well, Jesus has been doing miracles. He's been Especially John likes to emphasize these, these one-on-one interactions that Jesus has with people. Um, there is crowd work, but he wants to know that Jesus one day met Nicodemus, and they had a talk. And another time Jesus met a woman at a well, and they had a talk. And another time there was this blind guy, and they had an interaction. And John likes to emphasize that everybody themselves needs to meet Jesus. In all the billions of things Jesus was doing in his life, John says it was, there's too much that happened in the life of Jesus to have books to write about it. It also all just boils down to people themselves meeting Jesus. 
And with all the 8 billion people on the planet, Jesus is talking to you today. And the question of your life is, how's it going with Jesus? Forget your parents, forget your kids, don't forget your kids at the end of the sermon when you have to bring them home, but forget your parents, forget your kids, forget your work, forget everything else. You are meeting Jesus today. And how is the conversation going to go? Anyhow, Jesus does his ministry, he's got his disciples, and he's heading Jerusalem, and even though everyone around Jesus doesn't want to believe it, he has been telling them that he's going to get crucified for their sins. This is their mission, but this is his mission, but his mission just so does not make sense to them that they can't even begin to believe that the Messiah of God would get crucified by Rome. His job was to destroy Rome. His job is to destroy everything bad. His job is to just destroy, 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 and heal and teach. But he's supposed to wreck everything bad. He's not supposed to approach evil and then be completely overcome by it to the point of death. And in that rescue everybody. That just didn't make sense to them at all. So he's at Jerusalem for this Holy Week. Speaking of Holy Weeks, he's there for the Holy Week of Passover. And while all these comings and goings are happening and there's all this hubbub, there's these Greeks there. So they're in Jerusalem at a time when it's just clogged and jam-packed full of Jewish people there to worship at temple. And all of a sudden there's these Greeks there. There's these Gentiles there. There's these others there. And Jesus, up to this point in the other Gospels, had been telling his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles yet. It's not time. Don't, don't go to the Gentiles yet. You're just here to go to the Israelites. You're here to go to God's people. But don't go there yet. And sometimes a Gentile or two would show up, and Jesus would sometimes give them a hard time, like the Syrophoenician woman. But here he is. He's just moments away from his crucifixion. And here come these Greeks who want to meet the Messiah. And it's interesting, because Jesus doesn't say yes or no. You mean, man, he must have been so hard to work for. Jesus, there's these Greeks, they want to meet you. And he doesn't say yes or no. He goes off into a bit of farming and the need to hate your life. Yeah, so, I mean, if you think I'm sometimes hard to follow, I'm like kindergarten compared to Jesus for his disciples sometimes. And so this is the context. The the, the, uh, reputation of Jesus and the fame of Jesus is getting out of the borders of Israel so much so that these Greeks have come and now they would like to meet him too. And he says, now is the time for the Son of Man, referring to himself, to be glorified. Now is the time for me to really do what God's called me to do. And it's not going to look like you look like what you think. It's going to look like a disaster. I'm going to die. But you all are surrounded by God's testimony and creation that sometimes things need to die in order for good things to happen. And that includes every single bite of grain you've ever eaten has come from a grain dying and going into the ground. And when that thing dies and is buried, eventually a lot more life comes out of it. 
And so that's how Jesus is thinking about his death. If I don't die, you're going to die. But if I die, eternal life comes for all of you. And then he says these great words, whoever serves me must follow me. So if we're going to serve Jesus, we need to welcome this whole death for the sake of more life, loss for the sake of more gain, pain for the sake of more healing, death for the sake of resurrection. This is our life. We follow the master. Cool? All right. So... This is my gal, and this is my third son, fifth child, Timmy, on the bottom. And we're smiling there. It's not always easy to get him to smile right for pictures. He does have one of those sixth sense that kids can have about when the camera's about to go, and then he looks off in the wrong way or whatever. So family photos are not super easy. Um, But I just want to tell you our story, because this, for the Balfour family, has been a journey of saying yes to death in order for gain. And I just want to share how it's been and how it's going, just to give glory to God. And because I'm the most humble pastor in Steinbeck, and just making fun of myself, I find it so uncomfortable to tell long stories about myself. This is not fun for me. And uh, I just want to share the enjoyment, because I do think that if God is highlighting this kind of verse for a church, he is saying to all of us, There's some stuff we're going to need to die to in order to accomplish God's will for us in this time. So when Jackie and I got married, I think I'm going to remember this. Jackie already warned me that she's going to do some detail correction for me after the message. So I'm going to do my best with the message, but I do trust her to know the details. But when we talked, the possibility of having an adoption was always in the mix while we talked about life. And so we have four naturally born children, and about six and a half, seven years ago, um, we got commissioned from the Lord that it was time to actually start doing the adoption. Because for years, our adoption was one of these things where Jackie would talk about it, and she'd be like, yeah, and we're thinking of adopting someday. And I would say, you know, yes, dear, but in my heart, I'd be like, oh, dear. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I don't want to fight in front of my mom. So yeah, this is great. But um, oh dear, what's this going to cost? Anybody a what's this going to cost kind of person? Yeah, I'm a what's this kind of going to cost kind of person. But we went away to a leaders retreat, and if it seems unusual to do this, let's all get together and pray and see what God talks like. Our whole adoption journey really started with a time where somebody said, it's time for you to start pursuing your dreams. And Jackie's like, the adoption's the dream. And I was like, yes, dear, and oh, dear. (laughs) But convinced that it was the Lord and it was time. But adoptions are not quick things, especially international adoptions. They take three to five years, though we did find out that when you're specifically seeking a child with special needs, it does shorten the time frame and the amount of money it costs to do this stuff. And so our time frame was shortened. And we, we wanted to zero in on a child with special needs and, a, and really a child with Down syndrome. Just felt called to that. And again, just... Just, just so you don't think better of me than I actually am, Jackie the yes dear, me the oh dear guy, but wanting to be faithful to the Lord. 
And so we began the process, and it was hurly-burly. Originally, we were looking at other countries, and Jackie, Jackie used to go on this website called Reese's Rainbow, where they show children with special needs that are about to age out of the possibility of being adopted and into just institution where they're just going to be lost. They can't get adopted, and they're just there, drugged and fed until they die, essentially. And so she's on this website, and it, it was just crazy. This whole season, she's on there like I go on Amazon. So I go on Amazon, and I'm like, oh, look at that book. And there's a tool that would be cool to own that I'd never figure out how to actually use. And, you know, so I would just, you know, and she would be on there looking for our kid. And, um, <laughs> yes, exactly. And we, Timmy was never on that website, but it did get us connected with an agency that got us connected with another agency. It takes, like, three or four agencies to actually do one of these things. And... Um, and that whole season of just working on the paperwork took a long time. A year, a year and a half, I don't even remember. Jackie would know. But I would wake up in the middle of the night having found out how much this costs. Because it costed like 35000 bucks or something like that. I would wake up in the middle of the night just going like, what have I done? We're broke, you know? I would just, and I would be suddenly sitting inside the bed like... <laughs> Your hero, your hero pastor, just waking up like, we can't afford this. Like, how is this going to happen? So terrible. But God had it under control, and it was okay. And, you know, I just even, if you know Larissa Reimer from town, she was just such a godsend. She put together this fundraiser that covered more than half of it in one go, and God had been providing for us, and stuff came up along the way, and it all got paid for. It all got paid for. It all got paid for. Anyhow, um, going to get Timmy, like the way they did it, they want you to fly to Bulgaria. That's where he's from. And go and meet him. You spend a week with him. You come back. You have to leave the country. And then from outside of the country, you have to tell the agency that you want to go through with the adoption and complete it. And then you wait a number of months before you go back to, um, to go get him. And we had that first week. And it was it was good, but it was so tender because... Um, Timmy had only been outside of his orphanage like two times in his life. He was two, three, somewhere around there. Maybe one and a half at the time. I'm so bad with times. And he'd probably only seen two or three men in his life. And so I'm there, and Timmy spent days just looking at me like, through his fingers, just wishing I weren't there, not having any clue what to do with me, not having any idea that I was going to be his dad. And we did that. We had a good visit. I managed to get um, food poisoning from the chicken shish kebabs, which was, as far as food poisoning goes, it was one of the better ones that you could medicate, but it wasn't the best. And then we came back and... And I'm sure it was, it was, I have, I'm sure I have no idea what it felt like for Jackie to have met her son that she'd wanted for decades and to knew, know that she could not mother him, protect him, care for him or anything for months. Crazy. <laughs> but I just was waking up in the night going, <laughs> The money. <laughs> so psycho. What's wrong with me? Oh man. 
So anyhow, we, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this all up eventually, but... But, so we went back for the other tour to go get Timmy, and this was really a psycho day. So we flew there, and we're in Sofia, which is the capital city, and Timmy's in Burgas, and it, and it's so, which is like on the other side of Bulgaria. And it was really funny, because when we were dreaming about adopting from Bulgaria, we were in coffee culture, and I just looked up a map of Bulgaria, and I zeroed in on Burgas, and I was like, we should name the kid Burgas. Burgess Belfort. That's such a butch Eastern European name. You know what I mean? Like, and Jackie's just like, <laughs> you're walking home, you know, that kind of response. But, and he ended up being in Burgess out of all the cities that I could zero in on to make fun of or to like just joke about. He was in Burgess and I was talking about Burgess. So we went from Burgess to Sofia and um, the way we did it, we we rented a private driver for like 400 bucks for a day, which was astronomically expensive, but just for the sake of control and having the guy. Um, anyhow, we drove to Sofia in the morning, really early. He's doing like 160, 170 in a hundred zone, and uh, just just flying there. And uh, I assume that's normal. And um, then we got Timmy, and it was so quick. We got to the the orphanage. There's a bunch of people there. We give them all this loot because you're supposed to give like pajamas for the other kids. You just give all this loot. So we delivered the loot and they gave us a baby and they want to keep their stuff. So you have to completely undress him and then put, and it's almost like this picture of new birth. Like we had to take everything off of him because it belonged to his old life and they didn't want to lose it and put all new clothes on him. And then they threw some water down on the front steps just so, you know, you could fall down while you're leaving with your new kid. Anyhow, they threw some water. It's this like symbol of fresh start or something. And, and then we walk out of the place and get in the car and strapped him into his car seat and he just passed out. And there's a part of you that can think, oh, that's great. You know, he's unconscious children typically behave themselves better than conscious children. And so this is a good thing. But in hindsight, we just realized he was so terrified to be um, taken from everything he knew and put into the arms of people I'm sure he did not remember and just driven away so terrified he passed out for hours. And I tell that because... As I was talking with Jackie this morning, I was just like, when you tell a story about, like, we did an international adoption, we're laying down our lives, you can feel like you're such heroes, but at that moment, we were the worst thing that had ever happened to Timmy. We ruined his life with our adoption. And so he needed to die too, in a sense, though he didn't have a choice. And he passed out in the car, which was probably good. I totally wish I had passed out on the drive back because he was still doing 160 in a 100 zone. And halfway back to Sofia, guys, this is crazy. We slow down because there's an accident and somebody in like a BMW had crossed over the median and gone underneath a truck. And you know in Europe how all the big rigs are like, the, the, they go up. They don't have like the engine at the front. The engine is underneath and they go up and all that was left was the trunk of the BMW underneath the, the big rig. And it had just happened. And you drive by and you're like, somebody's dead. And then your driver goes back up to 160. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I wouldn't mind being asleep for this too, you know. Go to bed, wake up with Jesus. 
It was crazy. Um, and so we spent a few days with him because we needed to get his passport done. And just, Jackie was just showing me a video of him again this morning, his first morning with us. He was so unexcited for us to be there and for him not to be home. And just all this dying, all this dying. And, and for us, you know, as Westerners, we're thinking, to, we, we could think, I don't know if we did think, but like we've given away our, um, our empty nest. You know, Timmy will probably live with us for a long time. Um, he's got different developmental needs and all this stuff. So we can think of ourselves as like these heroes of self-sacrifice, but it cost Timmy a lot too. Um, I just want to remember that. But he was just the process of, of going through this. Timmy, w- when we got him, we brought him home, and he was, this is the thing that surprises you. When you get into the reality of it, one of the things that scared him most was trees. He'd never seen a tree move in the wind before. So we took him outside, and he's like shrieking, clawing at this tree that I was standing beside because as far as he knew, it was a monster. And we understand, like, trees blow in the wind, but he, he, was, he had been in an institution and probably hardly had ever seen out of a window in his entire life. And he was actually one of the more better taken care of kids. Um, the institution was better. He actually had like a therapist that worked with him. I remember uh, we met the therapist and she was like, I meet with Timmy, or this boy, his name was actually Petar. That's his birth name, which is now his first middle name. Um, and and Jackie's just bawling because there was somebody there actually like loving him. And some of these kids are just so neglected. They're fed and drugged, and that's it. And so even when you adopt them, they come with Down syndrome, but they might also have autism, or their whole nervous system might have been scrambled by like extreme antipsychotic drug, drug usage in there. And so the Balfours know we have gotten out so easy as far as international adoptions go. Because even whatever like hardships Timmy had, it has tended to make him quieter, so when he's stressed, he gets quiet, and he doesn't shriek or hit or yell. He gets quiet, and I just know, like, he's not healed, but that is just a kindness that he goes quiet when he's stressed instead of taking off his diaper and throwing poop or whatever might happen for other kids, which is normal. Like, we, we have friends who have done international adoption, and you just don't know what you're getting. And so i just saying that just to stay humble. Like, we've got it so easy. But it's been a cost. There was a money cost. There's a time cost. Our world has shrunk so much. Um, just the ability to like, uh, most of our outings are in like three-hour stints because that's how long respite lasts. And it, there's been a cost for us as adults. There's been a cost for the siblings. Our world is just way smaller than it might be otherwise because our whole world needs to take care of this kid. And I just want to say that. Um, but about the life side of things. Timmy's probably one of the best things that ever happened to us. (laughs) 
I see my eldest daughter, and Timmy's like nighttime put him down routine is just, it's almost like a, a classical piece of musical art that you have to get just right. You know, it takes years to master getting your fingers in the right place. It's like you got to bath time, brush his teeth, you got to put the clothes, he got like 18 layers of clothes so that he can't take off the under layers of clothes. And, uh, because if he gets out and you got to zip him into his bed, we got this specially designed bed that, that you put around an Ikea bed so that he can't get out in the night and cause mischief. And, uh, and when Jackie's out, like if she's ever out before 7.30, it means that somebody else has done Timmy's routine. Just so you know her life. Like her life is programmed with Timmy, and if she ever is out before 7.30, it means someone else has done bedtime, and I can do it, but everybody's so disappointed when I do it, you know, it's kind of like, Timmy's looking at me, it's like, it's you, <laughs> you know that my, my day tomorrow is ruined, <laughs> because it's you, but just Ellie, Ellie, um, just loving him, and uh, poor Ellie, Timmy, Timmy has not learned that favoritism is a sin. And he always has, like, a favorite person. And it's almost never Ellie. And I'm not sure why. He just has picked on you. And uh, she puts him down, and she'll take, like, half an hour to do it. Just to get it right. Come up really joyful. So proud of her. And Josh is amazing. Like, he's like this Down syndrome whisperer. Him and Timmy will just go and lay on the couch. And it's the thing that just blows my mind is that they end up having this weird world together. And then it influences the rest of our family. So Timmy, we're, Jack and I are talking in his room. Timmy comes in. He's got an empty box of cereal. And he goes, gagapoo, and starts pouring it out. Everybody know what gagapoo is? No? It's tiger soup. Okay. Can you imagine where that came from? Okay, so Timmy's first cereal he ever ate was Frosted Flakes. But Josh introduced it to him as Tiger Soup. And so every morning when Timmy wants cereal, he gets Gagapoo. He gets Tiger Soup. And so guess who's all calling it Tiger Soup now? Everybody else is calling it Tiger Soup because of Josh. And Josh gave Timmy this nickname, The Chunk, which I have no idea. So now we're all just like, do you want Gagapoo for breakfast, The Chunk? And Timmy answers to it. It's so fun. And he's skinny. I don't know. Whatever. And uh, and he, they'll play together and they'll be like, he'll ask Timmy a question and then they'll go, think, think, think. Thunk, thunk, thunk. Thinka, thinka, thinka. Thunka, thunka, thunka. I know. And then, then now everybody else is doing it. And can, oh, it's just so weird. And I just see Josh just being a culture maker because he loves this guy. And they just are natural together. And I think of Tim or Micah. Micah's like one of our quieter kids. He's a thinker. But when it's Micah's turn to have Timmy time, it's Lord of the Flies in the basement. They are just wrecking things and yelling and shrieking and knocking each other over and being so violent. <laughs> and Micah's like catnip for Timmy. He just keeps going, Whoa! And so, so Micah ends up getting in trouble. Like, stop it, stop it. It's going to take us two days to talk Timmy down after playing with you. But I get to see this, this wild side of Micah that doesn't come out 
without Timmy. And then there's Gloria, who's our soon-to-be-certified registered nurse who's just so organized. And then Timmy gets to have, like, structured playtime, and he loves Gloria. And I get to see Jackie just, like, becoming her best self with Timmy. It's so weird. One of my fears with Timmy was, like, how is he going to do in school? Because he needs to go to school, and you don't know how the school's going to do. And the Woodlawn team has just knocked my socks off. I am so grateful for them. But the crazy thing is, like, Jackie has to drop off Timmy personally every day, and she's, like, doing spiritual care for, like, everyone at the school <laughs> because they, they all love Timmy. Timmy's, like, their mascot, and then Jackie has to have all these relationships with all of them. And <laughs> they're, like, all friends. <laughs> and it's just, like, I've never seen this. But she's just got all these friends at the school because Timmy. And people love Timmy. And so I'm just like, and I think it's been good for me because I've learned to help take care of Jackie better so she can help take care of Timmy better so that everyone else can do better. And it's been really healthy for me to have to learn how to lay down my life and my family in more and more ways. And I think Timmy's really helping rescue us from having like a Western lifestyle that can be really self-centered because Timmy's allowed to be selfish. <laughs> we try to help him not be selfish, but I don't know. How far are we gonna get? Timmy knows that he's, he can be very loving and thoughtful and God can speak to him. God can really speak to him. But everybody else needs to just be laying down their life for someone every day. And it's actually good. We, we can do less, but what we can do is so much better. So all that to say is that there were times where financially and relationally it could have felt like, oh my goodness, what are we doing to our lives? But I just would not trade this. I 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 wouldn't lose him. He's my son. And I see him helping bring out the best in the people around him. And I say it's worth it. That's all I want to say. It's worth it. It's been really worth it. It's been really hard. It's been really good. It's worth it. And now, okay, wrapping this up. Jesus says to his disciples, everybody who follows me needs to be ready to do this. We have some things in our lives, in our church life, that we just think, I just need to keep this. And someday Jesus might tap you on the shoulder and say, actually, you need to bury this. And it's going to be so good. And I just want to tell you, like, it can be frightening. It can make you feel so inadequate and insecure. You might wake up in the middle of the night going, <laughs> I got no money. I'm still laughing at myself. Like, the father must have just been like, you doofus. 
you really think you're going to commit yourself to saving that kid's life and I'm going to let you fall apart doing it? So, for Calvary, I want to say one thing, two things, maybe four things. How much time you got? Number one, um, I want to encourage you to be willing to lose your life to the Word of God, to, to letting the Word of God be true. It does cost you your life for the Bible to be God's Word. There's two options. Either I'm always right or the Bible's always right. And I, when I was in university, I, I had a huge crisis of faith where I, I started to realize, like, if this book is real, then I will never be right again. Which means I don't have control over my life anymore. And I was really angry about it. I actually got in a big fight with Barney Coombs, who was like the, the grandfather of all our churches. I got in a, a real fight with him about this stuff. And I was wrong. And it was all me. Like, if the Bible's actually God's word, then I have to serve it, and I have to believe it, and I'm going to lose my life. Uh, I want to encourage you. That I think there's some of us here, like the, the idea of working on a sin that's kind of got control of our hearts or mind right now. The, I, for us, some of our sins become need to hold on to this, say to you, like, I've been through the journey of losing myself. It's way better to lose yourself and get Jesus. So it's going to be okay. If you, if you can let go of those sins, Give him to Jesus. You won't lose him. You'll lose your life, but you won't lose him. So much better on the other side. Number three, when things are going great at a church, when the bills are getting paid, when it's exciting, when you meet, we can be tempted to think we're so close to getting church just the way I want it. When that happens, you get your shovel out. You take a big pit and you put it in the ground. Because if we hold on to these seeds, if we hold on to it, then Jesus needs to wreck our church in order to get us to do his will. We don't want Jesus to wreck our church. We want to bury the seeds and let him bless our church. And so there's changes coming to Calvary. There's this little one with the evening thing, and then I think a bigger one that's going to maybe cost us a bit more. And I just want to say, let's, let's, let's do the cost. Let's say yes. There's so much joy. Maybe you've never even met your best friend yet. Because they haven't been saved yet. Because we haven't done that new creative thing that Jesus is calling us to yet. Maybe you haven't met your son yet. Maybe God has a spiritual son for you. That's trapped right now in sin. And if we could just do something different, we'll get them. Or a daughter. Or a dad. It's people. It's people. Every time we make a choice to change for Jesus, we get people. We get bigger family. And people are the treasure. Jesus is our greatest treasure, but his treasure is us. And so we're also each other's treasure. And number four, which connects with this, like we've got to just be ready to take our lives again and put it back on the altar so that Jesus can do more. 
this weekend we were at the uh, Salt Light Pastors, Lead Pastors Retreat that we haven't been able to do since COVID hit. And it was really weird because my pastor, Ron, he just retired, 42 years at Gateway, just retired. And the plan was, now he has all the time in the world to, like, take care of me. (laughs) And I need it. And you know I need it. And this, the big theme of the weekend was Ron saying, I think the Lord's called me to something different than what we were expecting. A mix of things. And us together coming to unity in prayer for, yeah, we think this is the will of God too. And it's just so Jesus to be like, here's our plans. This is going to be better. We're going to have more. And Jesus just to say, actually, the best plan is going to involve a lot more loss than you're thinking about right now so that you can gain something better. So I don't trust plans. I trust the next step. But uh, why don't we have the band come up? And why don't we just take a time as a church and as individuals just to yield ourselves to the one who promised us so many great things if we'll say yes to something that looks like losing. If anybody just wants to put their heart on the altar, whether it's for saying yes to God's call at Calvary or maybe something personally, I just invite you to stand. If you're not in a standing place, you can sit and still interact. Jesus knows your heart. But if you just want to say yes to Jesus with standing, I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, I just want to confess, when I think about great things happening at the church, I always just think of the fun stuff. And I forget to think about the good cost. And I'm sorry. But Jesus, I pray you'd unite in our hearts and our minds the fact that you have so much for us and for Steinbeck and for Canada. You can turn this all around if we'll say yes to the cross of Christ. If we'll say yes to the spirit of glory that empowered Jesus to go to the cross despising its shame for the joy set before him. Father, I pray that you come into our hearts and deliver us from pride and selfishness and fruitlessness. And that you would show us the path to true humility. Jesus, I know I'm joking about it, but I need so much more humility. Humility and love and fruitfulness for our city. Say yes, church, say yes. Jesus saves the very best. He's not done 
There has no peak been reached for us. Just say yes. Church, say yes. With a willing heart, Jesus does the rest. There's great days beyond our pain through the cross. Church, say yes.